Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Good News translation says this, the God who called you to have fellowship with his son. When my children were young, I was concerned, especially concerned, about who they associated with. I didn't want them to make friends with people who had bad character and would become a negative influence on their life. But then I equally encouraged them to seek out and find people who had good qualities and to spend time with those folks. So here's my point. God the Father, who is a good father, must think highly of you because he called you to have fellowship with his son. I said, God must think highly of you because he has selected you. He has chosen you to have fellowship with his son. Hallelujah. The living Bible says this. He has invited you into this wonderful friendship. That's the living Bible, it's in my notes, and there it is on the screen. He has invited you into this wonderful friendship. So the man who is a new creation in Christ can say, I am the friend of God. And Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Can I get an amen? So God saved us, not only so we could be with him in heaven when we die, but also so that we could walk with him in the earth while we live. Come on, let me say that again. You gotta gotta open up your heart now. God saved us not only so we could be with him in heaven when we die, but also so we could walk with him in the earth while we live. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And did they run out to meet him and greet him? No, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And God called out, where are you? And this leaves the strong impression that they were accustomed to walking with God, that this was like a regular date, that every day this was the time when they would meet the Lord and spend time with him. It was their daily habit. But sin severed the relationship, you see. Sin separated man from God. And the Lord drove the man and his wife from the garden. They lost not only paradise, but that place of intimacy. Hallelujah, the place where they met God. But Jesus came, praise the Lord, to undo everything Adam did in the beginning. He came to reverse the curse. And he died so our sins could be forgiven and our inward nature changed. We could become a new creature with a new feature, a new heart and a new start, a new man in Christ. Hallelujah. And the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have something. What do we have? Peace with God. That means since we have been made right with God, since we have been restored to God, since we are in right standing with God, we have peace, peace with God. And in this particular verse, the Greek word in this context means this. I read this in one resource. It said the word peace means a friendly, harmonious relationship. Woo! God's not against you. Like Pastor Jeppe said earlier, God's not against you. He's for you. When you have trouble, don't run away from God. You need to run to God. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, no one ever loved you like Jesus. I'm telling you, he should be forever your BFF. Hallelujah. Some BFFs turn to EFFs. Amen. And it'll be forever. Hallelujah. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Praise the Lord. When you don't have a friend in the world, he's still there. He's not only for you, he's with you. And not only that, he's living in you. Come on, somebody get happy. I wish, can I get a little help this morning? I wish somebody would get a little happy about the word of God today. Hallelujah. Amen. We're talking about fellowship this morning. Now I want to read a few scriptures from the first epistle of John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm going to go through this in a little detail. The first verse says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Just a side note, it's kind of interesting. The beginning of John's first epistle is kind of similar to the beginning of the gospel that bears his name. And in this verse, Jesus, uh, John refers to Jesus as the word of life. The word of life. So we could paraphrase this. We, basically, he said this. We want to tell you about the life-giving word. Only in him is there eternal life. And from eternity past, he always existed in the presence of the Father. That's basically what he's saying. And John emphasizes this, and there's a reason I'm saying this. He emphasizes this, that he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses of Christ. They actually encountered him. They personally accompanied him. So in so many words, he said, we saw him. We looked into his face. We felt him with our hands. We heard his voice. So this was not secondhand information, mere hearsay. I heard a rumor. Someone told me this. You know, my grandmother's best friend said something. They had personal experience with him. And there's a reason I'm he's emphasizing that. Let me go on to verse 2, just the first part. It says, and the life was manifest. See, Jesus said, I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the word that gives life. The life was manifest. The word manifest in Greek means to render apparent which means to make visible. 
What he's telling us is the Son of God left the unseen realm of the Spirit and came into this natural world that we inhabit, clothed with human flesh. He made himself known to us because God is not known by human discovery. God is known by divine revelation. In other words, it's not because you're so smart that you figured it out. He showed himself to us. Now notice verse 3. This is what I really want to get to. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. We preach to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. We shared with you everything we witnessed as we walked with him. We openly declared all that he said, all that he did, including his death and resurrection. Why? Why? Why was it so important for you to tell us what you experienced? What does that matter to me? It's nice to read about it, but what does that have to do with my life? How is it relevant to my situation? This is why. So that you too may have fellowship with us. The Good News Translation, I like the way it says this, so that you will join with us in the fellowship we have with the Father, so that you can have what we have. You can have personal experience with Jesus. Not secondhand information. Not something somebody told you. Not a rumor in the wind, but that you can have personal encounter and personal experience with Jesus. The reason God saved you was not just so you could skip hell and go to heaven. That may be the reason why you got saved, but that's not the reason why God saved you. The reason God saved you is so that you could walk with him as Adam did before the fall. In fact, even better than that, so that you could walk with him the way Jesus did during his time in the earth. So that you could have the same closeness, the same relationship, the same intimacy that Jesus had with the Father during the days of his flesh. Come on, if you think about that, that's life-changing. That's life-changing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And here's the sad thing. That's the reason why he saved us. And yet many Christians don't even think that's possible. I said, many Christians, they scoff at that idea. If you were to say, well, the Lord spoke to me, they look at you like you're a nut. If you were to say, I, the Lord really touched me, they would say, that's just emotionalism. You know, if you were to say, I just felt the presence of God this morning in my room, they would say, you're touched. See, they, they don't believe that's possible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And that's the very reason for redemption. The word fellowship means communion and interaction. It implies companionship and camaraderie. Hallelujah. Jesus did not go to the cross so that we could have a cold and formal religion about God. He died and rose again so that we could have a warm and intimate relationship with God. A friendly, harmonious relationship. Woo! You know, you cannot be friends with a worm. Here's my best friend, this worm. Here's my best friend, this dog. Well, maybe that is your best friend, but you know... If, it's, if, if you're best friends with someone, that lifts them up to a higher level, right? You know, if a king said, you know, King Charles in England said, well, John Routon, he's one of my best friends. Now everybody wants to be my best friend, see, because I know him. But that's just an example. I don't know him. So you're not a dog. You're not a worm because you're the friend of God. He, he lifted you up to a higher place. And, and if you know God, then I want to know you. Come on, friends have advantages that strangers don't have. I don't hang out with just anybody, but I hang out with my friends. Hallelujah. The Beatles sang famously, I get by with little help from my friends. But I have a friend in high places. The most high God is not only my father, he's my friend. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Amen. The Greek word translated fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia, and it means literally that which is shared or held in common. That which is shared or held in common. The New International Reader's Version says this, verse 3, we do it, meaning we, we preach the gospel to you. We do it so you can share life together with us, and we share life with the Father. Oh, you didn't hear me. You did not hear me. We do this so you can share life together with us, and we share life together with the Father. Come on. Come on. Come on. Get get rid of that, that, that antiquated religious thinking and receive revelation from God's Word. Hallelujah. Fellowship is a shared life. So instead of seeing yourself as walking alone in this world, occasionally asking God for some help, see yourself as Christ's travel companion. Fellowship is you and Jesus doing life together. Hallelujah. Come on, you didn't hear me. Fellowship is you and Jesus doing life together. It's not, it's not you doing something for God or even God doing something for you. It's you, to, you and him together. We're doing life together. So John says, we touched him. We heard him. And if you'll believe this gospel message, you also can feel his presence and hear his voice. What he's saying is, you can know the Lord today as well as we did back then. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Come on, you watch a Jesus movie and say, I was born in the wrong century. I just wish I was born back then. No, 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 no. No, no, you can know him just as well as they did. Mm. Come on, come on. Hallelujah. Come on, see, the problem is some people don't have Christianity. They have churchianity. They, they got a form and a practice and some rules and some, you know, some rituals they go through, but they don't really have fellowship with the Father. Hallelujah. In fact, not only can we know Jesus as well as they did back then, that is to say, during his earthly ministry, but we can know him even better than they knew him back then. I said we can know him better. Know him better than they did before the cross. You don't think so? You don't think that's possible? Let me read to you the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Let me paraphrase that. Even though we once knew Christ according to our natural human senses, that's not the way we know him now. Before the cross, they only knew him naturally. They saw him with their eyes. That's what John is saying. They, 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 they heard him with their ears. You know, they, they touched him with their hands. But that was, their experience was limited to their senses, their physical senses. But that's not how you and I know him today. We know him by his spirit and through the word. Amen. They stood beside him, which we think would be the greatest thing on earth. But he lives inside of us. Which is a thousand times better. If you see me dancing, you'll know why. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me say it again. They stood beside him. But he lives inside of us. They, they, they saw his healings. We got the healer on the inside of us. They, 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 they saw his miracles. The miracle worker is living inside of you right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. And notice this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Some translations say so that your joy well, our joy is my joy and your joy, so I guess it's okay either way, so that your joy may be complete. Fellowship is the joy in any relationship. If you're taking notes, that's a good thing to write down. Not the color of my shirt, but this. Joy is, a, fellow, jo a fellowship rather, is the joy in any relationship. Hmm? When a man and woman, when a man and a woman are married, they are legally bound together. They rightfully belong to each other. But the joy of marriage is not having a signed certificate in a frame or a ring on your finger. The joy of marriage 
is the daily interaction and communion of a shared life between a husband and wife. No intelligent woman got married just so she could wear a white dress. Honey, you can go buy a white dress and wear it any day you want to. Amen. No intelligent woman got married just so she could hold a bouquet. Baby, go to the florist and buy your own bouquet if that's all you want. The real reason for marriage is so that you can spend your life together with that person. Now, what would you think? What would you think about, and this did not happen here. It's never happened here, I'm sure. But, but what would you think about in the wedding ceremony? Here's the man and the woman, you know, and maybe, maybe Pastor Lloyd says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Everybody applauds, yay. And then the groom shakes the bride's hand, turns and runs out the door jumps in his car and drives off and we never see him again. We'd say, wait a minute. Or what would you think? I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. Zamazama. Yay! And he goes, he goes out the back door, runs home. We'd say, hey, you, you forgot something. <laughs> hey, fella, wait a minute. You forgot something. We would say something's really wrong, right? Yeah, but how about a fellow that comes here and makes Jesus his Lord and Savior and then goes home and we never see him again? And he prayed the prayer, but then, you know, he, that's the last he ever prayed. He never, he never spent any time with the Lord. After, what would you think of that? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Take Jesus home with you when you leave here. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, salvation is a yes or no proposition. You either are or you are not. So if we ask you, are you saved? The answer you can give is either yes or no. It's not maybe, a little bit, 50-50, Muscacheska. It's not possible. <laughs> See? You either are saved or you are not saved. Like I said to the students, if you ask a woman, if you ask your wife, are you pregnant? She can't say, only a little. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Amen. So it's either yes or no. It's either yes or no. But fellowship is a scale. It's not a yes or no. It's a scale like from zero to 100 maybe, somewhere along those lines. That's fellowship. That means you can be closer or further away from God at any, giving po any given point in time. See, a lot of times what we do is we focus on salvation. I'm saved. Yes, hallelujah, I'm saved. I was born again, 1985. Yes, hallelujah, I'm saved. You know, great. You know, just... Yes, great, that's fine. Now, where are you on the fellowship scale? Um, zero? Amen. But he saved you for fellowship. Amen. Salvation is the result of a single, once-in-a-lifetime major decision. If you're saved... You can go back to a point in time when you said, and I received Jesus as Savior. I called upon the name of the Lord. 
But fellowship is the result of thousands of little decisions that we make every day. Are you listening to me? Salvation doesn't cost you anything. Not really. You just receive Christ. It's a free gift. But fellowship costs you something. There's a price to pay. And the truth is a lot of people are not willing to pay that price. Hallelujah. We all have the same salvation. We do. There's nobody in this room that's more saved than you. God doesn't have any stepchildren. He doesn't have any illegitimate children. We all have the same salvation. We don't all have the same fellowship. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So he said, we write these things to you so that your joy may be full. What things? So that you may have fellowship with the Father. When fellowship is strong, joy is full. That was a good time to rejoice, but okay, maybe you do need to hear this message. I said, when fellowship is strong, I mean fellowship with the Lord is strong, joy is strong. Joy is full. So that means it's not hard to tell where people are on the scale. Some of you don't understand it. Well, the Bible says, let him that is ignorant be ignorant still. So I don't know. (laughs) I said, it's not hard to tell where you are on the scale because with strong fellowship comes strong joy. So when Christians have weak fellowship, I didn't say they're not saved. I know they're saved. But they're not having much communion, interaction, being with that person, spending time with that person, hearing that person. When fellowship is weak, joy fades. So when people have this forlorn look on their face, we know where they are. So guess what? All these years you thought you were fooling me. (laughs) You're fooling yourself. Everybody knows it. (laughs) Come on, you tell me how close you are to Jesus, but your face looks like a fused light bulb. And then some people have a zero bulb. Oh, it's real quiet in this Holy Ghost Church. Hallelujah. But see, religious people, religious people think that those who are close to the Lord are sad and dejected. Somebody's really just depressed, forlorn. They think, oh, that man is close to the Lord. Hmm. In their minds, Jesus was always sad. In their minds, Jesus walked around Galilee. If he's saying, he's saying, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. That's not true. That is not true at all. See, Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, in your presence there is fullness of joy. If you don't have any joy, you haven't been in his presence. Hallelujah. And see, when people don't have joy... Then they'll settle for fake joy. Fake joy. You know, in a bottle, in a pill, 
See, they, they, they willingly compromise and take the devil's substitute when they don't have the real thing. But the real thing is found in his presence, and that requires fellowship. There's a price to pay, but I'm telling you it's worth it. Come on, some people will pay a big price for a bottle. Some people will pay a big price for a pill. They'll even travel halfway across town to get it. But there's just a little bit of price to pay for something, this new wine from heaven, and it's much better than anything the devil will ever give you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It's impossible for you to walk in God's presence and be depressed. In fact, this is the best way to overcome depression. We all have to deal with our emotions. We have to manage our emotions. If we don't manage our emotions, our emotions will manage us. So when you're feeling down, that's when you need to pray. That's when you need to praise God. That's when you need to read the Bible. That's when, that's when you need to press into God's presence. That's when you need to go to church. Come on, some people only come to church when they're happy which is good, don't misunderstand me, but if uh, he, where's Brother Zamazama? Oh, he's going through some stuff. Well, when you're going through some stuff, that's when you need to, the company of God's people. That's when, you, that's when you need to be in God's presence. Well, I'm gonna wait till my life is so much better and everything, and then I'll come. That's like a patient saying, I'm gonna wait till I get better, then I'll go to the hospital. That's, that's, that's what hospitals are for. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah 8.10 says this. It's not on the screen, but you know it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. No Christian is stronger than his fellowship. Come on. I said no Christian is stronger than his fellowship. Amen. So that means... You may know many things. Oh, I've been a Christian, you know, almost all my life. That's fine. I've been in church since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. You know, I know the Bible backwards and forwards. I know it in Greek and Hebrew and Shebrew and homebrew. I, I know the Bible well. Or that means maybe you've experienced many things. Oh, I remember back in 1997. Ooh, we had revival back then. Oh, I remember back in 1963. Ooh, we had revival back then. Mm -hmm. But fellowship is not something that happened in your past. It's something you have right now. I said fellowship is not something that happened in your past. It's not knowledge in your head. It's something you experience and you have it right now. Hallelujah. Amen. So how do we fellowship with God? How do we fellowship with God? Of course, we don't have all the time in the world here, so we'll just have to hit on a few points. And if the Lord wills, we'll continue maybe later. But notice John 4.24. John 4.24 says this, God is a spirit or a spirit being, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But that's not only true concerning worship, that's true concerning every interaction with God. 
See, God is not a man. God is not a mind. God is a spirit. You don't contact God with your physical senses. You don't contact God with your human reasoning. You cannot contact God with your emotions. God's a spirit being, and you reach for him, and you contact him with your spirit. So see, some people are trying to fellowship with God just like with their emotions. They get all worked up emotionally. <laughs> but, that, but, you, but God's not an emotion. He's a spirit being. Sometimes your emotions can get out of hand. You need to kind of keep that under. Hallelujah. Those who worship him must worship him this way. So you sing with your mouth. You worship with your heart. You sing with your mouth, but you worship with your heart. And the problem is in church, we often say one thing with our lips, but our heart is saying something else. Amen. I mean, we, as a church, as a congregation, we may sing, you know, Lord, I love you, I love you, Lord. But in our heart, we may be singing something else. I'm tired, Lord. I want to sit down. It's really dark in here, Lord. The, eye, the lights are hurting my eyes, Lord. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And you cannot fool God. You could fool everybody in this room, but you can't fool the Lord. Because he sees right through you like you're made out of glass. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking even before you know what you're thinking. So you can't fake it. You can't fake it. So you have to be, if you want to fellowship with God, you have to be honest. Because he doesn't fellowship with liars. Amen. Amen. So keep it real. Instead of merely saying prayers, basically reciting impressive sounding phrases, we should speak to God as simply and sincerely as a son talking to his father. Or the way a man speaks with his good friend. Reverently, but honestly. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Many years ago, Brother Hagen was holding a meeting in one church, staying in the home of the pastor. And after the morning meeting... Brother Hagin said he overheard the pastor talking with another minister. It was like, you know, near him he could catch it, you know. You know how it is, you're talking to someone else and someone calls your name and you kind of, someone call my name. So he heard this pastor say, you know, that fellow, Brother Hagin, prays the funniest kinds of prayers. I've never heard anybody pray like him. And the other, the other man, the, the other minister said, what do you mean? And this pastor said, well, he's staying in my home. And this afternoon, I was walking down the hallway in my house, and I heard Brother Hagen talking to someone. And I wondered, who's he talking to? So I kind of put my ear, you know, near the door. Maybe I shouldn't do that, but I put my ear near the door, and I heard him say something like, okay, yes, yes. Well, what about this? 
All right, thank you, thank you. And I thought, who is he talking to? Is he, there's no phone in his room. They didn't have cell phones then. And uh, there's nobody in his room. So he just opened the door. He said, maybe I shouldn't do this, but I opened the door and just looked in. And there I saw Brother Hagin just sitting on the floor with his eyes closed. He's talking to God. And see, that's real prayer. Real prayer is not a monologue. A rehearsed speech that you make to God with your eyes closed. Real prayer is a dialogue. It's a conversation you have with the Lord. Hallelujah. That means if you're fellowship-minded, you won't just say things when you're having your devotional time or quiet time. You'll hear things. You'll stop to hear. Amen? Some people do a lot of talking in God's presence. God bless me, bless me, help me, God. Oh, God, help me, help me, help me. Use me, God, use me, God, bless me, God, help me, God. And then amen, run out the door. God didn't have a chance to say anything. <laughs> well, the Lord never speaks to me. That's because your mouth is always running. Amen. Notice this scripture. Hallelujah. Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. It's the end of verse 5 and beginning of verse 6, actually. Now, before he was taken, he was commended. That means he was praised or spoken highly of as having pleased God. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, this verse, these two verses, are referring to Enoch. But here's the thing. It says he was commended as having pleased God, Hebrews 11.5. But if you go back to the book of Genesis, it doesn't say anything about Enoch specifically pleasing God. But what it does say in Genesis chapter 5 verse 22 is, and Enoch walked with God. Of course, that's no contradiction. You can't walk with God if you're going to be displeasing to God. How can two walk together unless they are agreed? The Bible says, Amos 3.3, 3, I think that's the verse. So Enoch walked with God. So we could paraphrase Hebrews 11.6 this way. And without faith, it is impossible to walk with God. Enoch was commended. He walked with God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, but actually we could say it's impossible to walk with God. To fellowship with the Lord, the first thing you need to believe is this, that you can. The first thing you need to believe is it's possible. You can fellowship with your Father. You see, some people think that's not possible. No, no, no. God, God will never talk to me. God will never have anything to do with me. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. But you see, he made you a new creation in Christ. He made you his very own son and daughter. He washed you in the precious blood of Jesus. But I'm so unworthy, but the blood has made you worthy. Hallelujah. Amen. So that means you need to believe that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That if you reach up, he will reach down. You need to believe that. Hallelujah. See, I said to you that fellowship is a scale. 
You know, it's, it's not yes or no. It's, it's a, it has a, a, a range, right? But where you are on that scale is not up to God. It's up to you. Where you are on the fellowship range, like a dial from zero to 100, where you are at any given moment, that's not God's choice. That's your choice. My phone is talking to my watch is talking to me again. <laughs> you didn't get that. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Anyways, <laughs> is Apple listening to my sermon? <laughs> Anyways, yep. Shut up. <laughs> Anyways, messed up my sermon. So where you are on that scale is not up to God. It's up to you. Now I remember years ago I was in a class. And a Bible class, and the teacher mentioned a well-known Bible teacher. If I called his name, many of you would know his name. He's a great man of God. But this Bible, the person in the class said, well, God just especially likes him. God just especially likes him. In other words, God likes him more than he likes the rest of us. Uh, That's not true. Wrong answer. God is no respecter of persons. He shows no favoritism. We may not all have the same level of fellowship, but we all have the same opportunity. I said we all have the same opportunity. Amen? It takes faith. You must believe that God hears you when you pray. The Bible says in James 5, 16, I'll be done in just a few minutes here. James 5, 16 says this, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or it can do much. Years ago, I prayed and I asked the Lord, what is a fervent, effective prayer? And the Lord said to me, I heard inside my spirit, it's a believing prayer. It's a believing prayer. You need to believe that when you call out, He's on the other end saying, I hear you. I hear you. And just because God doesn't say anything to you, that doesn't mean he didn't hear your prayer. You know, you say, oh, Lord, help me. That doesn't necessarily mean that there'll be a thundering voice from heaven. I will help you. Because without faith, it's impossible to walk with him. So he doesn't always have to give you some kind of a confirmation like that. You just need to believe he's hearing me now. Hallelujah. Something else, though, I got to say this. To fellowship with the Father, you must understand that God and his word are one. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living. It's living. It's full of the life of God, and it's powerful. Hallelujah. Some people are trying to fellowship with the Father apart from the word, and you can't do that. I remember something Keith Moore said. Keith Moore is a wonderful Bible teacher in America, man of God. He said this. When he first came to the Lord, he had a great hunger to learn more and more. And he would pray day and night. And he was constantly pummeling God with questions, asking God questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? And most of the time, he didn't get an answer. No, he didn't hear anything, didn't get a verbal response. And he was fasting and praying, you know, asking more and more questions. And finally, he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. He's a new believer. He's a new believer. He hasn't been saved very long. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said this, I am the God of the book. He means the Bible. I am the God of the book. 
And one reason I have not answered your questions is this. I've already answered them in my book. So if you want the answers from me, go to my word. The Holy Spirit will always take you to the word of God. He will never separate you from the word of God. If you, if you discard the scriptures, you leave yourself open for deception. And people get off track and they get wayward and, and they get weird. Hallelujah. Smith Wigglesworth said this. I can't understand God by feelings. I can't understand the Lord Jesus Christ by feelings. I can only understand God the Father and Jesus Christ by what the Word says about them. God is everything the Word says He is. We need to get acquainted with Him through the Word. So if you want richer fellowship with the Lord, you do have to spend time in His Word. It's not enough to decorate your coffee table. It's not enough to write the names of your babies and when they were born. Thank God for all the babies. I'm not trying to be unkind. But it's not enough just to, uh, you know, press your flowers in the Bible. It's not a scrapbook. It's God's Word. Amen? You need to get into the Word until the Word gets into you. It, I, I, all my life, I was never a reader. I never liked to read. All through school, in fact, through grade school, I think I only read one book. I, I don't like to read. And so that was like a handicap. And I had to discipline myself. I had, I had to, I had to you know, get a grip on myself to read the Bible every day. And it was hard at first because I just, I just don't want to read. You know? but, 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 you know, God will help you overcome your weaknesses. And I read the Bible every day. And I've done so since 1982, I think. Hallelujah. And it made all the difference in my life. Amen. All right, I'm going to close with this. Go with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. I'm going to be done in just a second here, a minute here. Luke 24. I won't read the whole passage, but it says there was an interesting story. In Luke chapter 24, we read about two of Jesus' disciples. And they were walking toward a village called Emmaus. And they were talking among themselves because Jesus was crucified and there were reports that he was raised from the dead. And as they were walking and talking down the road, Jesus himself drew near to them and walked beside them. But verse 16 says this, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's strange. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus said to them, what are you talking about? And why are you so sad? And they said to him, not, not recognizing, not knowing who he was, they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard the news? And he said, what? this is Jesus himself saying, what news? And they said, you know, Jesus, you know, was sent from God, mighty in power and, and word, and, and our rulers, you know, crucified him. But then we heard a report that he was raised from the dead, and we don't know what to make of this. And Jesus answered them in verse 25 and 26, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know, some people don't want to fellowship with Jesus because they don't like what he says. 
Some people don't hear God's voice because he did speak and they don't like what he said. Notice he didn't say, oh, dear, precious ones. I'm with you. I feel you. I get it. No, he said, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. I wonder what he would say to you and me today. I don't know. Let's not, let's not think about that too much. To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And that's not all. And then the Bible says he went through the law and the prophets and the Psalms and quoted to them every scripture that concerned himself. That's interesting. They're walking. Emmaus is like a seven miles from Jerusalem. So in seven miles, I mean, how many scriptures can you quote in seven miles? Well, there must be more than like one or two. See, maybe you only know three or four, but there must have been a lot of scriptures. He started in Genesis and was quoting every single scripture that was talking about him. Hallelujah. So then they came to the house and they asked him, please come with us. And so he went and they sat down to eat and something strange happened. Jesus rose up. He took the bread on the table and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. And the Bible says, then their eyes were opened. Then their eyes were opened. They saw him. They recognized him. And the funny thing is, when they saw him, when they recognized him, then he disappeared. What is a strange story, isn't it? It's very strange. So why didn't they recognize him in the first place? They, they, they are his disciples. They've seen him many times. They've heard him. They recognize his voice. If I called some of you on the phone, even if you don't know my number, you know my voice. Some of you, for that reason, would immediately hang up. But you know that <laughs> evidently he, Jesus wasn't, the Bible doesn't say, and he was wearing a disguise. He had a hat, sunglasses, a beard. Uh, you know, he cut his beard off and, you know, and he was wearing, you know, a red coat. He, no, he wasn't wearing a disguise. It was him. How come they didn't recognize him? Something God did, right? I think God was showing them from now on. You cannot know Jesus naturally. You can't know him just with the flesh. You can't know him just with your senses and your human reasoning. You can't do it that way. And when he broke the bread, they recognized him. See, that bread is a symbol of God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then they said to each other, so amazing, did our hearts not burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? See, he was opening the bread to them as they were walking. He was telling them, this is what my word says. It's talking about me. And their hearts were burning. Their hearts were burning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you get into the word of God, he will open it up to you. And you can get to that place that your spirit is just burning on the inside. He will show you things you don't see. As you're walking with him, he will open up the word, and then you'll know him. 
then you'll see him. You will not see him with these eyes, but you'll see him with the eyes of your spirit. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me to your feet this wonderful morning?